So as you turn to Romans chapter 3, because we are making progress, and I say the word frustration. You know, I really hesitated over this picture on the front of the, of the bulletin. It definitely captures what I wanted to have out there. But at the same time, I thought, if you walked into church for the first time and someone handed you this, <laughs> is that the message you want to get across? And we decided, yes, it is. So, so frustration. Uh, all I have to do is say the word, and I start to feel it, I, you know, I, like a knot in my gut, you know, that starts to, starts to, to, to come up there. You're in a no-win situation where you've tried everything you can think of and nothing works. And it can be small things. By small things, give you an example, the computer, something isn't working. And you've tried everything you can think of, and so you bring in the professional, and he starts telling you to do all the things you've already done. And when you're done, it still doesn't work. And he says, well, I don't know what else. Maybe you can go to the next guy. And you're going, but I went to the next guy, you know. And you, and you, but, but I can't categorize that as a small thing, even though, you know, it's like, it, is that, is, am I truly catching frustration? Uh, Does anybody else, am I, are you feeling what I say? <laughs> okay. Uh, but that's a small thing because it's just a computer. Uh, because uh, bigger frustrations have to do with, for instance, health issues that don't go away. Loved ones who are hurting. Uh, and, and you try to make everything right. You try to do everything you can. And, and everything fails. Uh, frustration. Frustration. The, the level of, of the issue is different, but the feeling seems to be the same. Listen to some questions in today's passage. This, these are found in Romans 3, 1 through 9. Uh, then what advantage does the Jew have? I think I said that right. What's the benefit of circumcision? Circumcision. Is God unrighteous? Why am I still being judged as a sinner? Why not say, let us do evil that good may come? Oh, let me read the passage. Chapter 3, verses 1 through, through 9. What then, then what advantages that you have? Or what the benefit of circumcision? I still can't say it. Great in every respect. First, they were entrusted with the actual words of God. So you see, he, he deals with the issues, but he asks them. Uh, what then? Some did not believe. Well, their unbelief, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? Far from it. Rather, God must be proved must prove true, though every person be found a liar. As it is written, so you are justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what should we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I'm speaking from a human viewpoint. Far from it, for otherwise how will God judge the world? But if through my lie the truth of God abounded to his glory, why am I still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, just as we are slanderously reported, and as some claim we say, let us do evil that good may come of it. Their condemnation is deserved. What then? Are we any better than they? Not at all. If we have already charged, both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. And you have two sets of questions here. You have the questions of frustration. And as he answers those questions of frustration, he asks, he asks questions again. It's a very Jewish style to, to answer a question with a question and make you think it through. Uh, but he, he asks all these questions, and they are questions of frustration. 
uh, and, and they're asked and they're answered. But the end result is we find ourselves still as boxed in and hopeless as we were when we started. So let's start and walk through this a little bit. What advantage has the Jew? Verses 1 through 4. Then what advantage does the Jew have? What is the benefit of circumcision? He answers, he says, great in every respect. Right? Uh, and, and just a reminder, for our purposes, Jew equals church. Now, now I'm not saying the church has replaced the Jew, but, but the Jews were the people raised in the knowledge of God with the word of God. They had the advantage of tradition and culture and background that all helped them to know about God. And the church today, see, the church in that day, the Gentiles did not have any of those advantages. But today, the Gentiles, you and I, except for Jeff, <laughs> we have those advantages. We have the advantages of, of the church uh, without having to be Jew. So, so mostly, not everything, but mostly what he was saying about Jew then applies directly to the church today. Uh, there are more differences between Jews and Gentiles than just those things. The church has not replaced the Jews, but the church today fits the situation that the Jews of that day fit, of having the traditions and the law and the, and the culture and so, uh, what advantage is there to be raised in the church? What possible advantage is there to be raised in the church if the church is under this, people in the church are under the same condemnation as everybody else? Why do I bother? Why do I try? Where is the advantage? If the religious are as condemned as the pagan, because chapter one is how condemned the pagan world is, chapter two is that the religious people are condemned too, and what is the point? Why do I even bother? He says, what is the benefit of circumcision? And when he says that, he's talking about the sign of the covenant. Today's equivalent would be probably baptism. Um, it, it's a symbol of the covenant. Uh, especially if you apply it to infant baptism. If it's a church that does infant baptism, it's a symbol, and it's really no more than a symbol at that point. Uh, you might say the sign, uh, a cross, the cross. If you wear a cross, does that have any benefit? When you see somebody wearing a cross, do you at that point have confidence that that person is a Christian? Do you say, well, the person's wearing a cross, they must be going to heaven? Uh, and, and you go, you know, it's a nice symbol, but it doesn't actually in itself accomplish anything. It's a symbol. Uh, th but those would be the Christian equivalent. Well, what benefit that is there of those things? And the answer is, if the symbol is only a symbol, then it is actually of no value whatsoever. A symbol you ignore is like a stop sign you drive through. It does nothing for you. It does what? Well, actually, what does it do for you? It condemns you right? The symbol causes you to be more condemned than if the symbol wasn't there. A stops, and, and I think that's a pretty good illustration of what's going on there. Uh, and, and so it's of no value. So, so he goes on in verse 2. So he asks the question, what possible benefit of, is there at all? This is great in every respect. Yeah, there are benefits, and they are great benefits. Uh, first, they were actually entrusted, speaking specifically of the Jews, that they were actually entrusted, they were entrusted with the actual words of God or the oracles of of God. They were entrusted with that. And it's kind of funny because he mentions first. He says, first, they were entrusted to the actual words of God. And then he doesn't go on to second or third or fourth or anything like that. He just says first. And then I think he looks at it and he says, you know what? That's good enough. 
Uh, that's good enough. They had the word of God. They were entrusted with the word of God. And by the way, the Jews did a fantastic job of preserving and protecting the word of God. And, and, and that's one of the benefits we have in being in the modern world we are because the Dead Sea Scrolls, when they dug up their copies of what the, the Old Testament was in the year zero, uh, and they look at the copies of what the Old Testament is today, they say, wow, it's the same. It hasn't changed. It hasn't mutated. It hasn't evolved. It's the same thing. And so it has been protected. They were entrusted with it, and they were trustworthy. But what this mostly means is that they had opportunity. Because they were entrusted with the word of God, they had opportunity to believe. And this contrasts with the Gentiles who had no opportunity. It says, first, the, contract, uh, first, first the, what, the fact that they, the advantage of being a Jew or the advantage of being raised in the church is great. Among other things, you have got the opportunity that the Word of God prevailed, presents to you. For, if you want to see that Scripture actually teaches the same thing, look at Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to flip to Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm, I'm just going to look at two verses, 11 and 12. We could read a little bit more, but this gets the point across. Uh, for Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 11 and 12. And at this point, uh, he's talking specific, or addressing specifically the Gentiles, right? In Romans, we're at this point, he's addressing specifically the Jews. What advantage is there of being a Jew? Here he's addressing the Gentiles. And what does he say? Therefore, remember that previously you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision, wow, we have the same terms, don't we? Just except one side is on the inside, they have it, and this side is on the outside, they don't have it. They don't have that symbol, uh, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the people of Israel, and strangers to the promise, covenant of promise, having no hope and without God. And when you read that from the Gentile perspective before they came to Christ, you realize how utterly without hope they were. They had, they had uh, let me read this again, separate from Christ, excluded from the people of Israel, strangers to the covenants, end of the promise, or of the promise, having no hope and without God. No hope without God, strangers to the word that the Jews had. Advantage in every way. Being raised in the church gives you an advantage in every possible way. Before that, they were strangers to the covenant of promise. Because of what Christ did, uh, they, uh, I'm sorry, because, and because they were strangers, they had no hope. They, had, they were without God. And having the word of God and the tradition of God and the culture of God means you at least have a chance. But all the opportunity in the world means nothing to the person who does not take advantage of the opportunities given. And it's you know, potential. Potential is, who would you rather have working for you? Someone with great potential but little motivation or an overachiever? Someone who doesn't have a great potential but he works really hard to make up for it. The answer is, man, I'd rather have the overachiever. I don't care how much potential you have. What I care for is what you accomplish. Well, there's so many people raised in the church with all the potential there is, but they don't do anything with it. And you young people in here, every now and then I jump down your throats. I'm going to do it again today. You have been given every possible advantage. You are being raised Christian in a Christian home with Christian parents, going to a Christian church that preaches the Bible, right? But, but that does not mean you are saved. You are saved as you trust Jesus Christ uh, with eternity. You are saved as you trust Jesus Christ for salvation. It is of no value 
Every advantage you've been given is of no value if you don't believe in Christ. And verses 3 to 4, he's speaking in his frustration, right? He's speaking in his frustration. Well, if, if, if the, the, the people with Christ are, are, are with, with uh, the people that pay without God are lost, and the people, the religious people who are at least trying to follow God are lost, then, then what hope? The problem must be with God. Verses 3 and 4. What then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? I had a conversation with a man once, a pastor, who uh, said that uh, if Jesus died to save everybody and everybody is not saved, then Jesus failed. And, And this was his argument. He was saying Jesus only died for some people. He didn't die for everybody. And, and, and I argued with, I, I went really deep into my theology, and I said, for God so loved the world <laughs> that he gave his only begotten son. And, and, and we, I mean, I could get into the whole argument, and he went on, and the more he went, the more I went, oh, you got to be kidding me. But, but that was his argument that, that he supported with. If Jesus died for the whole world and not that the whole world gets saved, then Jesus failed. And, and here's the Bible's answer for it. Does the unfaithfulness of God, or does their unbelief nullify? Their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? Far from it. (laughs) Far from it. We'll look at that phrase, far from it, is how this version of the New American Standard Bible says it. Uh, But but that's what he said. He said, said, then Jesus failed, and God says, no, no, no. The, The failure isn't with God. The failure is with the man who failed to take advantage of what God gave him. Their unbelief does not nullify the faithfulness of God. Frustration says these things have been of no advantage to me. And God says, the problem is not with me. The problem is with you. You're the one not taking advantage of what you've been given. And so he says that phrase, this one says, um, far from it. Interesting way to put it. If you have a King James or, or a couple of others, it might say, God forbid, which is just such a powerful phrase, powerful way to say it. Uh, I like... Uh, um, Let's see, the NIV says, uh, or, or some versions say, may it never be, which is maybe the closest to the literal understanding of what the verse actually says. Uh, it, it's, it's one of my fa- favorite little phrases. It's a two-word phrase in, in the Greek, me genoida, genoita. I, I, sorry, Jeff. Uh, my Greek hurts his ears. Me <laughs> genoita. Uh, and, and, and may simply means no or not. Right, it's a prefix. Not, not or no, not genoita, and, and genoita. Simply, it, it's kind of a phrase that means begin to be. Let it not even begin to be. The the gin of genoita is the same root word of Genesis, which is based on Greek, not Hebrew, <laughs> and, and you get the the idea of of the beginning of something. No. Don't let that even begin. I like, again, if this was Steve's redneck translation, it would say, don't even go there. Don't even begin to think it. Don't let that idea get started because it is wrong. You should have no traction with that. May it never be. God forbid is a really good way of getting the feeling of it across. May it never be. Uh, Don't even go there. Far from it is, is good. It doesn't feel as powerful to me. I, I want it to be a strong thing. It's, it's, just, it's just an emphatic no, uh-uh, not happening 
kind of thing. Don't even begin to go there. And uh, he says, don't even begin to think the problem is with God. And then he goes on, he says, rather, uh, God must prove to be true, though every person be found to be a liar, so that as it is written, your word, you are justified in your words and prevail when you judge. Let God be found truth, though every person be found to be a liar. So he will, uh, if the whole world disagrees with God, God is still right. I have a t-shirt, got it at uh, White Elephant Gift Exchange. It's one of those with the message on the back, so I forget what I'm saying. I walk around in public in this shirt, and I, don't, I, don't, I forget that I'm carrying this message. It says, I would rather stand with God and be judged by the world than stand with the world and be judged by God. Oh, you know, that is, I, I think a lot of people, I, I don't know, I mean, because I don't see people's reactions when they see it, because they're behind me. <laughs> and, and I wonder how many people look at it and go, huh, I should think about that, because I think probably next to nobody thinks that. Some people look at it and go, cool, I like that. And other people look at it and go, what a jerk. <laughs> Who does he think he is? Uh, that's so wrong, that, that kind of a thing. I, I, I don't know if it wins anybody over, but I love the statement because it's so true. It doesn't matter if you are the one true believer in Christ and the whole planet is gathered against you, really doesn't matter because you are standing with God and the whole world can think God is wrong. It doesn't matter because God is right. God is the judge. His ruling will stand. Uh, uh, God is, the, the, the world does not judge God. Uh, I can't read in my own notes. It don't make sense to me. <laughs> if the world condemns God, which our world does in many subjects, or at least condemns his word, uh, that doesn't change God, and it doesn't change what's right. God will never look and say, oh, I'm sorry I did that one. I can see it's unpopular. I'm going to change my position on that. <laughs> right? uh, he doesn't do that. So the world can judge God and can condemn God all they want. It doesn't change it. The judgment of the world, uh, the, the world's judgment will mean nothing in the end. Meaning, when I say the world's judgment, I don't mean God's judgment of the world, but the world's judgment of God, the world's judgment of what is right and what is wrong, will mean absolutely nothing at the end. It is utterly unimportant. God's standards are what is important. God is the one who judges. Uh, he is, he is uh, the judge. His ruling will stand. Far from it. Rather, God must prove to be true, though every person be found a liar, as it is written, so that you are justified in your words and prevail when you judge. God prevails when he judges. <laughs> so has everybody seen the clip of that guy jumping over the barrier in the court to attack that judge. Bethany came out and told me this morning that judge has ordered that he appear in her court. <laughs> and you know what she's saying? I will prevail when I judge. <laughs> I was like, I'm going, I don't know what she's going to say, but I do know that guy will be bound and fettered <laughs> in such a way that he is not jumping over to attack her again. And, and, and I don't know what her actual message will be. I think I figure it's got to sound judicial. It's got to sound good. It's got to sound upright and moral and all those things. But, it, but at the same time, she's going to say, I prevailed and you did not. Really good picture. In the end, it is God's judgment that will prevail. 
right? And so he's answering the, the frustrations of these things. Yes, we fail and we are trapped with, with our guilt. And we can say, what advantage do, do we have? What possible thing is there? Uh, we are trapped in our sin and guilt and we can get frustrated by that. But I didn't have a choice. This is, this is I, 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 I can't win. It's, it's, can I say Kobayashi Maru? <laughs> you know, it's a no-win situation here. I cannot come out on top. But that is still not God's fault. It is my fault. It is not God that has boxed me in. It is my sin that has boxed me in. And I am trapped. So then we move on to verses 5 through 8. So why not just give up and sin then? But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? What he's talking about here is, is the testimony of the saved sinner. Right? So, so uh, we, have a, we have a testimony day. We allow people to come up and testify. And someone comes up and testifies and says, well, I was, I was seven and I asked Jesus to be my, my savior and, I, and I, he changed my life. And we all go, yay. And someone else comes up and says, well, I was... I was uh, 18, you know, me, and, and I was not a good person, but I uh, got convicted of, of my need for Christ, and I trusted him as my Savior. But he says, yay! Someone, up comes, someone comes up, and he's earth shakes when he moves. You know, he's got ink all over, and he's, he's uh, healing from piercings, and he's, he stands up here, and he goes, he starts describing his life of sin, right? And, and he... he uh, and he describes a very full, thorough, evil life of sin. And then he says, but Jesus saved me. And we all come out of our seats and erupt. Wow, yes. the glory of God has been demonstrated so powerfully through this person's testimony. And it's like, yeah, we rejoice for the 7-year-old, we rejoice for the 18-year-old, but man, that, you know, 50-something terrible person got saved. What a powerful testimony to the glory of God. And, and it's just, it's, people get excited by that. They, they, they want to hear that testimony. It's, it, it, it's, he's not more saved. He's certainly not more deserving. Maybe it's because he's more deserving that it's more powerful. Uh, and and uh, God looks good when he saves sinners. He looks better when he saves bad sinners, if that makes sense. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? Well, it's not fair. It's not fair. If, if my sinning more makes God look better when he forgives me, then God shouldn't be upset with me for sinning more, right? That's, that's the logic that he's using. If God looks good when he forgives bad sinners, then he should be glad we're bad sinners because it makes him look better. And, and, and we, well, we find a phrase again. Um, verse, chapter 6, verse, or, I mean, chapter 3, verse 6, the first part of the verse. Once again, this one says, far from it. Yours might say, God forbid. It might say, may it never be. It is the strong, emphatic, no, don't go there. Don't even begin to think that. It is, it has, you, have, you will get no traction with God. You will get no traction in truth if you go there. It is not right. And we can deceive ourselves with our clever reasoning. And people have done this for a long time, deceive themselves. Self-deluded people who somehow think that their sin is okay 
because they have reasoned it out to themselves through their theology that their sin is okay. But, but God's rightness and his judgment, he, he will cut through that like a hot knife through warm butter, right? It'll just fall right through and, and split it, and it will not be, uh, God is not going to pause and have to think about it and go, well, you have a point there, because uh, he won't. We can deceive ourselves. We will not deceive God. If that was the case, if God was unrighteous, if the end justified the means, then God could not judge the world, right? He says here, uh, first, first we have, they will be prevail when you're judged. Now, verse 6, we have, for otherwise, how will God judge the world? If God is not a good judge, how can he judge? He would not be able to do that. But he judges the world in righteousness and truth. And you won't change the judge's mind about right and wrong. So here's the solution. Let him change yours, <laughs> You're not going to change his mind. Let him change yours. And then verses 7 and 8 continue with the same argument. If through my lie the truth of God abound to his glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? Yeah, if, if my lie turned out to be God, to, to bound to God's glory, or if my sin turned out to God's glory, uh, how, how, how can I be judged for being a sinner? Shouldn't I be okay with this? And he says, let us do evil that good may come. That's what people were saying about him. And why not say, as we are slanderously, slanderously reported, as some claim we say, let us do evil that good may come of it. This is called license. License says, I have permission to sin. I got a driver's license in my pocket. I pull it out. It says, I have permission to drive. That's what a license is, right? Uh, People take grace, and they claim it gives them license. I have license to sin. God's forgiveness gives me freedom to sin. God, grace says God forgives sin. License says since God forgives sin, sin is okay. And people accused Paul because he teaches grace of teaching license. Uh, that, that's what they accused him of doing. And you need, people who do not understand grace will get it wrong. And some of them, because they misunderstand grace, will live lives of trapped legalism and only rules to guide them in what they say and do. And they, they can't get beyond the rules of legalism. And other people go to the other extreme and, and uh, teach uh, you know, license. And we, we read about that in, in uh, Revelation to the seven churches. It talks about teaching the way of Balaam, who taught uh, the Israelites to sin or led the Israelites into sin uh, in the book of Numbers. And, and if you're not familiar with that story, you can look it up <laughs> uh, and find out about it. But he, he, they, they, he was, they were actively teaching license in the church, uh, actively in the church teaching sin is okay because you're forgiven and God's okay with that. And, and people accuse Paul with that. And they, 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 they make, people make both those mistakes and, and when the legalist, here's what, here's what happens. When the legalist sees the sin of the abuser of grace, he, he goes back and he says, see, that's why I teach legalism. Uh, and he, he justifies. I think if, I remember a case, wasn't a specific case, but it, it's, well, it kind of is. Uh, I knew a man who, we were talking about the issue, not of legalism exactly, but of whether or not you could lose your salvation. And this man believed you could lose your salvation. He believed that it was dangerous to teach you could not lose your salvation. Because if people believed they could not lose their salvation, then they were free to sin. Now, curiously enough, I knew a man 
And they, these two weren't in conflict with each other. They were un, totally unaware of each other. I knew a man who did justify his sin on the fact that he believed he could not lose his salvation. And so that guy was right. That some people will take the belief that they can't lose their salvation and use it to excuse their sin. He was right. Some people will do that. Does that mean you start teaching something different to, to bring them back under reign? <laughs> you see, the truth is the truth. Because people will abuse the truth doesn't mean the truth should not be taught. People will always abuse the truth. Okay, people abuse tools. World's fav favorite screwdriver? Hammer. Bang. <laughs> it's a lot faster. <laughs> Sometimes less accurate. Uh, yeah, uh, and by the way, let, let me just ask a question. Has anybody here ever abused a hammer? <laughs> uh, oh, our, our crescent wrench. Oh, good. Crescent wrench as a hammer. Uh, anybody have your pocket knife with the tip broken off? <laughs> okay, we abuse tools. We, we use things in ways they probably shouldn't be uh, used. Uh, that doesn't make the tools bad. It doesn't make the tools wrong. The person who abuses the tool, apparently a lot of us are guilty. <laughs> the person who abuses the tool is wrong, but the tool itself is not right. Because somebody abuses God's word, don't change the way you, you handle God's word because someone else is using it badly. Teach the truth of God and let God deal with the fallout of that. Uh, that's his responsibility. Truth. God gives glory. God gets glory when he forgives a sinner, right? He does get glory when he, he forgives a sinner. That never justifies sinning more. I think of a lady who once told me, you know, you, you, you're, you're a good pastor. She's wrong there first. But <laughs> she says, you're a good pastor because you understand sinners because you sinned. And I physically step back. It's like, whoa, no, no. Nobody is ever better because they sin. Ever. I mean, we, it, it's true. You know, uh, I, I remember, for instance, we for, one, for a while had a program, uh, Christian version of Alcoholics Anonymous. Remember what it was called? Anyway, it was, it was and, and uh, what we found was, or, or let me go to the, the prison. Let's go to the prison or the jail. We had, we had a jail ministry going on for a while back when they allowed it, and, and I was there speaking at uh, a Christmas presentation to these, these guys, shared the gospel. But the problem is, what do I look like? <laughs> yeah, I look like a pastor. <laughs> I look like a clean guy who has never known sin. I've always been a member of the, the holy club, you know, and that, that's, that's what I look like. And, and, and I shared my heart, and nothing ever happened. Another guy who was with the group, big, heavy, tattooed, hairy. Uh, I think he had the gift of evangelism. But uh, he walked up afterwards and he says, uh, so you want to get saved? This guy looks at him and goes, yes! <laughs> I th and I think in that guy's eyes, this man had credibility where I didn't. God can use things like that. But we are never better because we've sinned. And don't ever think, that, that sinning is, you know, me genoida, by no means. Don't begin to think that. Don't go there. And he concludes this passage by condemning those people who try to use grace to sin. He says, their condemnation is deserved. Their condemnation is deserved. So what have we accomplished with this passage? 
he's, he's already boxed everybody in, right? Romans 1, he takes the pagan world. He talks about how sinful he is and how the wrath of God is revealed uh, from heaven against them. And then in Revelation 2, he talks about the religious people, and he shows how the wrath of God is revealed against them. And he's boxed us all in under sin. He's boxed us all in under sin. And what have we accomplished with this passage is when people start responding with frustration, well, then why bother? What's the point? And then he takes that away from us too. So we can't even vent in frustration and try to find an outlet with that. We are trapped in that. Yeah, these things were said in frustration. Okay, then I can't win. It must be God's fault. He takes that away. Okay, then I can't win. I might as well just sin. And he takes that away. So what's it done for us? It just leaves us boxed in and trapped by our sin as when we started and we've gained nothing by our attempts to wiggle out of it and we are more defeated than we were. And we conclude with verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? By the way, we start next week with verse 9. For we are already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Everybody. Everybody. All under sin. We gain nothing by that. There is no escape from this truth. We are trapped and hopeless, and that is exactly the point. This is the bad news. The good news starts with the bad news. Until you recognize that you are trapped in your sin and you can't help yourself, you're going to keep trying to help yourself. You're going to keep trying to find ways to not need Jesus. That's where you're going to be. The good news, first of all, Here's some good news you might be interested in hearing. We're almost finished with this section on condemnation. (laughs) I I personally consider that good news. Uh, We're just halfway, well, in this case, I have to flip a page. Flip one page, we get to verse 21 of the same chapter. And we find where he turns from this message of how trapped and lost we are in sin to, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets. And we're, see, and we're just about to the point where he says, now that you finally acknowledge you have no hope, here's the hope you need. And there is only one hope. We are trapped and hopeless, and that is the point. That is, that is where he wants us to be. Okay, for the believer, you're here, you trust Jesus Christ, you say, I'm okay, I'm not, I, I understand everything you've thought, fine. I actually, you're sitting there, you say, you know, I actually agree with everything you said. No problem here. Uh, do not make the mistake of trying to justify your sin. You know, don't, don't, don't fall into that. It is not good. Good cannot come from it. <laughs> I just think of so many stories when I think of this. I remember the guy back when marijuana was still illegal in Washington State who claimed Christ, still does claim Christ, lives as weird a life as he did back then, but uh, claimed Christ, and, and he smoked pot. And you've, you've, some of you have heard this before. Maybe everybody has. I don't know. I tell the same stories again and again, but uh, he, he, he smoked pot, and I confronted him with it. I said, you, you, not only that, was he was a vegetarian because he felt like eating meat opposed, you know, he followed the, the, the kind of Levitical laws, dietary laws, and all this stuff, but he smoked pot. <laughs> and I, said, I, I, just, I just was flummoxed by this whole thing. And I said, how can you justify smoking marijuana? And he said, well, it gives me a chance to witness to the dealers. <laughs> <laughs> 
And it's like, ah, you can, if you want to sin and justify it, you can find ways. I mean, I, maybe I'll help you just for fun. I'm going, oh, here, let me see if I can figure one out for that. You know, no, I won't help you with that. Instead, I'll look at you and I'll go, Meganoida, <laughs> don't even go there. Don't begin to think it. Don't let your brain get started on trying to figure that out uh, because it's wrong. For the believer, don't make the mistake of trying to justify your sin. It is not good. Good cannot come from it. You have been given all these advantages. They are only of benefit to you as you use them. Then they are of, of great advantage. If you have not trusted Christ, I think I've made it pretty clear through here. You have no hope of escape. Your sin has utterly trapped you in, and you are trapped, and you cannot get out, and you will face judgment from the righteous judge who condemns sin. You will have to face him, and yet he's, he's not eager to punish sinners. He's eager to forgive sinners. He wants so badly to forgive sinners that he gave his only begotten son to die and pay the price. That means he wants, wants an, a lot to forgive you. He doesn't, he's not, it's not like, well, I'll think about it. <laughs> he desperately wants to forgive you your sin. And you're stopping him. Do you see you're trapped in your sin? You need him. He provides you with hope in a hopeless situation. Jesus has died to pay for your sins and place your faith in him. Let's pray. Uh, announcement I didn't make, coffee fellowship after church. Hope everybody can stay. Let's close in prayer. Father God, Father, for the person who, who's here, that maybe person who might be here who has not trusted you as his Savior, I ask that that person would recognize your love for him and see that there is hope for him. There is one hope, Jesus Christ, and that person will yield to you and seek you. Father, I ask for all of us to live right lives before you, pleasing, honest, and seeking righteousness. We pray in Jesus' name.